1: Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello. Welcome back. I'm Andy Behrens, joined as usual by Scott Pianowski. And welcome to the Yahoo Famous Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Uh, Scott, may I tell you what satisfied me in uh, in week nine? It was probably the fact that the Saints played a near-perfect game on Sunday night. Holy cow. Think they're our NFC
0: frontrunner, or is that uh, too much recency bias there? I think it's just one of those things like the weather. You know, you wait 15 minutes and things will change. Uh, It wasn't that long ago everybody thought, oh, NFC West, three playoff teams, maybe four playoff teams. Every one of those teams just had a throw-up loss. uh, The Rams two weeks ago, and of course everybody else on Sunday – or Thursday in the case of the Niners. Tampa Bay played its worst game of the season. You know, Green Bay had a couple of missteps and you know, you look at the AFC, the Ravens have had black eye games. Pittsburgh probably should have lost to Dallas. Kansas City got all it could handle against Carolina. I just think this is a wide open year and there's going to be a lot of ebb and flow to it. Now certainly the Saints having the the 2 lead over Tampa Bay is a really good thing. But I I still think Tampa Bay is formidable. I mean, let's see if they can get Antonio Brown engaged and of course, keep them with the program for two months, which may be a challenge. But yeah, I, I get that the Saints are today's favorite. I just feel like they'll be a different favorite in a week or two because that's just kind of been the flow of the season. Where There's a lot of teams that are plausible, but I think everybody has things that you can scheme against. In the case of the Saints, you know, all the passing is short. I, I'm just waiting for a team just to really press on the outside and dare them to throw over the top. I'm not sure if this offense would be ideally equipped to handle that. Yeah, I, I will say uh,
1: Drew Brees had the pass that, that could have easily been picked by JPP. Like it wasn't it wasn't flawless. And that like you're right, it's it's nothing but shortstop, uh, but short stuff, even with uh, even with Michael Thomas coming back. What do you do with that game? If you have been starting Tom Brady and fantasy leagues, you just crumple it up and throw it out. This is like you, you throw up the high
0: and the low in the NFL. Right? Yeah. You know, you, the, the outlier performances are not indicative of what's projectable going forward. Brady still has great tools. You know, Gronkowski dropped a touchdown pass. He had had wonderful chemistry with Mike Evans all season around the goal line, including the, the much hated fade route that everybody hates. They definitely <laughs> clicked on that. They didn't get it going against the Saints. And the Saints defense played great. Lattimore was terrific in that game. And and maybe that man, Lattimore has been almost a nothing
1: all year. And then he shows up against Mike. Like he's always going to show up against Mike Evans,
0: Evans, right? They're having a street fight right now as we tape this podcast. And, you know, thanks to Liz Loza for taping with me Sunday night. So I got to miss the first half of that game. (laughs) And then, you know, so I walk in. Oh, I wonder what's going on with this game. 31 nothing. Okay. so I I guess I'll just watch the rest of it to see if the the Buccaneers can set the record for fewest rushing attempts in a game. And even with a Blaine Gabbert (sighs) kneel down, they still made it. So uh, hats off to you, Tampa Bay, for junking the running game. So a lot of that, right? Buffalo junked yeah. the running game. Pete Carroll was all all gung-ho to stop the Buffalo running game, and Buffalo said, that's that's really funny. We're going to throw every time. Yeah, they threw at first down like 21 times in a row or something 21 like that. So times in a row. I was
1: going to ask you about that yeah. game. They start the game off by throwing on first down 21 times in a row. And, you know, like I appreciate that Pete Carroll – acknowledged that they were focused on Buffalo's running game, but I have no idea why you were focused on Buffalo's running game, right? Like they've, Buffalo has been, you know, four wide, three wide all year. It's obviously a bit of a breakout season for Josh Allen who got off to that crazy hot start. I can't imagine why you would focus on the Zach Moss, Devin Singletary. Attack. If that's true, like I just can't, I can't imagine it. I mean, obviously it's a surprise when any team perhaps does the right thing, we might argue, and uh, and throws on first down constantly, but man,
0: what a coaching decision don't focus on anybody's running game if you're not up against dalvin cook okay go over to football outsiders at some point and look at their dvoa defense ranks and look at what happens when a team can stop the run and can't stop the pass and vice versa the teams that can stop the pass and can't stop the run have a good overall defensive rank and the teams that stop the run and can't stop the pass are always at the bottom which is just a a clue a, a skeleton key to what's important yes it's nice to run the ball or stop the run Late in the game, when it becomes more of a strategic, you know, drain the clock and that type of thing, you need to get off the field. I mean, if you can stop everything by mall means, stop everything. But the game plan against 85 to 90 percent of the league should be stop the pass. And if they run on you, they run on you.
1: It's it's such a good it's such a good point um, because we I feel like we talk about this with Kansas City every week or every other week like for years, the, the Chiefs have been a defense that, fine, okay, you want to you run for five yards per carry against us? Like, they'll finish the season giving up something like 4.8 or five yards per carry. Uh, like, you're never going to beat the Chiefs by running the football. That's not a that's not a path, right? The Chiefs are going to get to 35, 38 points, and you're not going to get there by running the ball. It's just not going to happen. And you're not going to possess the ball for, like, 45 minutes against them. Like, there's, there's no path um, via the ground. So for a head coach to say that they are still focused on stopping an opponent's run game in the year 2020 was uh, just a little bit amazing to me. We should dive into the pickups for week 10. Holy cow, week 10. Scott, it's week 10. We made it here. We've got the usual collection of sort of major and minor injuries uh, coming out of the weekend past that we probably need to deal with. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has a shoulder injury of well it's unclear exactly how how severe this might be um, doesn't seem like it's going to affect him long term. There was relatively good news. I think I believe the team called him day to day. David Johnson and David Montgomery both have concussions right now, both in the concussion protocol. Justin Jackson just can't really catch a break or his fantasy managers can't catch a break or something he takes a he takes a knee to the helm or it takes a, a helmet to the knee on the actual first snap of the game just brutal news there we'll talk about replacement options in a bit preston williams has a foot injury Albert O, who'd been a really nice story, tore his ACL. Not that anyone was leaning on Kyle Allen this season, but he suffered a really ugly uh, ankle injury as well. So we've got we've got some injuries to sift through. And then on top of it all, somehow we allowed the Chiefs to get a bye. Like, what the hell? Why why are the Chiefs even allowed a bye this season? Makes no sense to me. But we have all those guys sitting. We have Atlanta sitting. So it's a, it's a bit of a tricky bye week. So why don't we start Given all the running back injuries, why don't we start at the running back position? I'm going to throw out this messy collection of names. You try to make some sense of it. These guys are all, again, our threshold here, available in over 50% of Yahoo leagues. If they, are, if they are right near that 50% line, maybe I'll break them out and talk about that as a separate issue. I don't think any of these guys are in that situation. So here's a big batch of names. Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson would obviously be the straight-up replacement for David Johnson in Houston if David Johnson can't go. He was... Fine in uh, in week nine against a bad Jacksonville defense. His day was kind of saved by the by the one yard touchdown plunge. Wayne Gallman now has touchdowns in three straight games. Uh, though we expect Devontae Freeman to, to return relatively soon. Jordan Wilkins, I totally get why he's, why he's still out there in about 75% of Yahoo Leagues because nobody wanted to play him against uh, against Baltimore, but he did out-touch Jonathan Taylor again. He's got some really friendly matchups upcoming as well. Uh, Malcolm Brown is out there. He, he's generally getting 8 to 12 touches per week. J.D. McKissick. Just saw eighty three percent of the snaps had nine receptions for Washington on fourteen targets. So any sort of PPR league, he is moderately interesting. And then I have saved the best, the worst. I don't know what this is for last. Um, I have saved Kalen Bellage for last. He basically stepped in and replaced the workload that you might have expected from Justin uh, from Justin Jackson. Huh. Fifteen carries, sixty nine yards, has a touchdown. Catches a couple of passes, swats another one to the ground. I don't know. What do you
0: like? Make sense of this. Make sense of the Kalen Balage experience. That's uh, post Adam Gase angle, too, right? So, yeah. You know, it could be another. We all love to play that card. You know, escaping Adam Gase, one of the keys to success. I don't wish injury on David Johnson, but it would be nice to see Houston get down to 1D Johnson so I can look at the box score and know <laughs> who is who. I know it's usually David Johnson has more touches than Duke, but that's that's a clear. First guy out, you can play the second guy. Duke Johnson has been unplayable, yeah. and David Johnson's been in uniform. So that's that's a straight injury swap. Make your offer on on Duke Johnson as late as you can in the week just so you have the max information. The player here, I don't think there's a home run on this board. But one guy who I'm convinced is at least a single and maybe a double is J.D. McKissick because they have a role for him. It's He catches yeah. a lot of dump-off passes, and he was catching them from Kyle Allen, and then Alex Smith came in. Somehow threw for 300 yards when it it felt like his A dot was like zero. I mean, everything was short. I know he had an intermediate pass that the the wonderful McLaurin housed, beating like the team photo of the Giants in the process. What a great player he is. And it's just fun to watch Alex Smith on the field anyway. But they don't use Antonio Gibson on third down. Uh, Hayden Winks of Roto World had some great stats about percentages of of how often guys were getting used on third down and – and Gibson is really close to zero. So McKissick owns that role and Alex Smith likes to dump it. You know, some quarterbacks don't like to throw to their running backs and Lamar Jackson would need a congressional order to throw a, a pass to one of his running backs. I feel like at times, uh, I, I wish they would have done that with more with chase Edmonds in that Arizona game. And what a, what a Al Capone's vault that game was. I waited all year for chase Edmonds and that's all I got <laughs> a million touches and like eight yards. Thanks a lot guys. Uh, by the way, very spineless of Cliff Kingsbury to not go for it on fourth down, too. What a yeah. what a gift yeah. that was to Miami. I know they missed the kick anyway, but McKissick is the guy I am zeroing in on here because I feel like a lot of these other guys. It's like, okay, Wilkins, you know, what's Frank Reich doing? Does does do they get Taylor cooking? I mean, Taylor did have a fumble in that game, which he might have been a little bit in fumble jail. The Indianapolis offensive line very quietly. You look over at the football outsiders' adjusted line yard ranks, they're really low in that stat. Yeah, this is is not what any of us expected at all. This is not what we were promised. We were promised the top five offensive line, and we haven't gotten it – so you know, if you go to Wilkins, you have to play the game of how much does Hines play? How much does Taylor play? you know Malcolm Gr- Brown, how healthy is Henderson? Do they eventually get Cam Akers involved? I think Gallman's actually played pretty well, but do they still think Freeman's their primary back? I don't think there'd be anything wrong with keeping Gallman in the rotation, even with a healthy Freeman. I think he's done just fine, and I don't think Freeman is any kind of a savior. So because there's so much conditional stuff here, if you just need somebody who you think is going to be on your roster for four or five weeks and maybe playable as a flex or a, a low end running back too, I think that's McKissick. He doesn't have the highest floor here because there's no world where he's going to have a 20 touch game. Maybe Duke Johnson could have that. Maybe Gallman could have it one week. You know, Bellage is battling with a bunch of, you know, Pope played well the previous week, then he had a concussion, didn't dress. We'll see if and when Jackson can get on the field. Kelly still has a role there. So again, we're f- sifting through three or four running backs. My takeaway, I like Gallman, and I, I think maybe he has a chance to share the job with Freeman. We don't even know if Freeman returns. The Philly matchup could be pretty decent. But I think I think McKissick is, if I were to score McKissick on, on a lot of my teams, I think I'd be
1: playing him in week 10. Yeah, it, it, to your point on McKissick, it's not just that he played 83% of the snaps uh, in week nine. He's He's been playing over 50% of the snaps consistently, like five, six weeks in a row, something like that. And And I will say, You know, this is one of those situations where fantasy managers are going to want to really pound Washington for not using Antonio Gibson, as we all think he should be used and deployed. But, you know, like he's learning to the, the finer points of the running back position at the NFL level. He barely did it as a collegiate player. So for a team that's now on its You know, uh, Plan C at quarterback with a with a super sketchy offensive line for them to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna hand over pass protection to the veteran that we trust, versus the kid who legitimately had something like you know what was it, thirty three carries as a collegiate player, complete like. Yeah, I get it. I, I get what they're doing. I get that McKissick has that role. I don't expect that role to flip. McKissick is pretty skilled as a receiver. Right now, he's not going to see fourteen targets very often. But if we get Alex Smith at quarterback for an extended period of time, he's going to see plenty of targets. Right, like he's going to be consistently seeing. I don't know if it's five, six catches a game, but that's out there for him. One thing I will say in uh, in defense of the Jordan Wilkins ad is that his upcoming schedule, his second half schedule, is is about as good as it gets. And and hey, maybe this maybe this tilts back to Taylor that could certainly happen but they've got both games against Tennessee coming up and Tennessee hasn't been able to stop the run they have both games against Houston coming up Houston has not been able to stop the run so they've got they've just got nothing but matchups that can be crushed I I agree with you essentially that it's that it's still going to be a three-man situation and we probably have two more Naheem Hines games coming that we that none of us are gonna are gonna see in advance so that's out there too but uh, Wilkins, just in terms of friendly schedules ahead, there's there's no way that things get right for Tennessee and Houston, in my mind.
0: I want to mention one player off the board, and he's a very tricky guy to evaluate because they're stepping into a bye week also. Tony Pollard looks better than Ezekiel Elliott. There's no way to spin that for me right now. I don't know if Zeke has had a slow recovery from the COVID. Obviously, Dallas's offensive line has been missing all sorts of personnel all season. What is Dallas on their 17th quarterback? I mean, it's just ridiculous the attrition they've had at that position, but... Pollard's looked better now. Dallas has a bye, and then you know they paid all Zeke all that money. They didn't pay it to him to to sit on the bench. But if I had room for for Tony Pollard, and I know a lot of you are, you need a win in Week Ten, you this is a luxury item that you can't look at that you can't go down that aisle aisle. But I I would like to have Tony Pollard. He's become now that Chase Edmonds has graduated, and maybe even been kind of a, a false thing to get excited about. Although it was just one game, we'll see. Tony Pollard is now my fun stash, the guy who I really want to have tucked away in case things fall his way in the second half of the season, because I think there's a certainly reasonable narrative where that could happen.
1: Yeah, um, they I mean, they would surely have to decide to just sit Ezekiel Elliott, right? Or they would, I mean, they're not going to you know, they, they paid him $90 million. <laughs> like, ben, benching like, is not an option. They're not going to bench Zeke unless he does something wrong off the field or something like that. Right. You're, you're totally true on that. I guess I'm not ready to say that Tony Pollard is is the equivalent of Zeke Elliott between the tackles or anything like that, right? Like, like Zeke has some rushing titles to his name and is obviously a, a more than accomplished player. And and he signed a $90 million deal. Like, there, there, there's no, this doesn't go 50-50, right? Like, the Cowboys at some point might realize that they need to extract themselves um, from a monster deal at a position that should reasonably not ever receive monster deals, but there's just no way that in the just second remember
0: half. Though, remember, though, Zeke was a game-time decision in Week 9, so I, I think a an aggravation, not a re-aggravation, but an aggravation of that injury isn't too much of a leap. The problem is they don't play in Week 10. So, again, it's a luxury item that a lot of people can't, Go down. I'm just going to say for the record, I think there's going to be a point later this season where Pollard's going to be a top like 12, 15 running back on all of our boards because things have fallen in his direction. So I just want yeah, to totally have people possible. have that tucked them in the back of their head. That's all.
1: All right, let me give you a big batch of receivers uh, and you can you can sort these out for us as well. Curtis Samuel had another day. I saw you tweeting about him a little bit. Caught all nine of his targets, over a hundred receiving yards. They're still manufacturing touches for him. Again, we don't exactly know the McCaffrey situation as we speak, but um, they've used him as, as at least a rotational running back as well. Nelson Aguilar, who we've talked about a couple times on this pod uh, found the end zone again like man he's he's not missing on any deep shot opportunities this year as long as the ball is in his vicinity Uh, Alan Lazard should come back fairly soon he's missed uh, he's missed several games after after core muscle surgery remember the last time we saw him he made a bunch of huge field flipping plays I think it was over 140 receiving yards they were suddenly using him as a downfield threat even though none of us had ever really thought of him that way Um, really exciting uh, player but that was way back in September but he should return soon and you know he's going to be tied to a, to an MVP contender at uh, at quarterback. I'm just going to I'm just going to throw out the the cursory, almost reflexive mention of Tim Patrick. He finds his way into this every week because you guys don't add him. Fine, you you don't want to add a team's number one receiver. That's fine. He saw nine targets again, had a touchdown against Atlanta on on a just a dart of a throw from uh, from Drew Lock. But that's fine. You're probably chasing. Jalen Rager, who saw six targets, had a touchdown before Philly's bye. They're obviously coming off the bye, playing plenty of snaps. Uh, David Moore is out there. If you want a little investment in Seattle's offense, uh, deep league, Jakeem Grant, he's a speedster with Miami and Preston Williams is hurt. And then the last name I'm probably not going to make a play for him, but Richie James, I should note is coming. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you'll say there's some signature significance here when a player has 184 receiving yards and absolutely clowns a defense touchdown against green Bay three plays in that game of 40 plus yards, which is kind of ridiculous, but the Niners are getting Ayuk back. They're getting Debo Samuel back. They're getting Kendrick Bourne back. All those guys just came off the COVID list. So is there still a role for Richie James anywhere?
0: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, this is so much talent on that roster that James is, is going to be back into a secondary role. And we don't even know if that's a bankable passing game. So that may just go down to one of those great performance. And I'm, ha- I'm always happy when a guy gets a chance and does what he did. But there, it's not like they're going to say, oh, you know, let's stop playing Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. That's not going to happen. Um, so that that kills that. I feel like Curtis Samuel separates himself from the rest of this list because they have finally, for years, they weren't really sure what to do with him. At Ohio State, you saw him used in a, all sorts of hybrid roles, that Percy Harvin role, the jet sweep action. He uses as a running back sometimes. He's all over the field. He's all over the formation. And they finally really figured out what to do with Samuel. And they schemed for him. It, it's like the... Little League team where the, the coach's son gets all the touchdowns, right? Well, what do you know? It took, a, it took
1: a creative uh, former college coach, right,
0: uh, to unlock. Yeah, Curtis right. Ham. It's almost like they have they have young, you know, exciting head coach and offensive coordinator, <laughs> and you know, Joe Brady will probably be a head coach soon enough too. So. I would love to have Samuel on any of my rosters, and I would be playing him as a flex, maybe even a lower-end wide receiver too. And if McCaffrey's dinged up again, if he can't go, it just means the, the pot—we we know that they have a good backup for McCaffrey. But uh, I, I think Samuel is—they're is, featuring him. They're The fact—when you say manufacturing touches and he's getting this much volume, uh, there's a guy I would— two-handed push-in chips on a lot of teams. I think he's probably gone in most of my leagues, but I'd like him to see see him on your roster, and I think he's a really easy guy to play. The problem with Lazard, he was playing really well, but for some reason they seem to like MVS. Did have a big game on Thursday, and I, I just feel like Lazard would be somebody that even when you added him, you'd need that prove-it game before you even started him. Aguilar, I like as a home run threat, but they just won't commit to volume with him. I could give him a pass for the Cleveland game because it was played in really bad wind. But even when he hit the touchdown against the chargers, what do you have three targets? I, you know, this isn't an offense. Waller can get big target games on that offense, but nobody else does. You know, Renfro gets three to five and Ruggs gets three to five and Aguilar gets what he gets. They want to run the ball. So, you know, if you're desperate and and you're just hoping to get one big play out of a guy like Aguilar, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I'm just worried the volume will not be projectable. So Samuel stands out to me. Then I think Patrick. Patrick has a resume. And only because he was dinged up did people maybe back off Patrick. I feel like he should have graduated this list. I don't like Rager as much as some other people do. Our our friend J.J. Zacharyson was wondering why his ownership tag wasn't. Why his roster tag wasn't higher than it is. I think Fulgham's their best receiver. And they do have talent at tight end. They're getting Goddard presumably healthy after the bye week. They may get Sanders back. I, I just think this this is not an offense that I want to invest a bunch of pieces in to begin with. And I, I think you can add Rager. I wouldn't be active actively starting him necessarily. David Moore's interesting to me because, I, again, a piece of Russell Wilson, great. And if anything ever happened to Metcalf or Lockett, not that he's anywhere near as talented as those guys, but then you could you can maybe project him for five to eight targets, which right now you probably can't. So go get Samuel if you can. That's great. I think Patrick separates himself from the rest of this list. And the deeper league choice would probably be David Moore just because any piece of Seattle's passing game looks fun to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you fundamentally on that, uh, on that sort of hierarchy
1: there. I think Samuel and Tim Patrick are in a, are in an entirely separate category. Again, Patrick coming off nine targets. Um, he's got, he's got three touchdowns in his last five games. Upcoming schedule is, is plenty friendly. It's the Raiders, it's the Dolphins. So he's got, he's got good weeks ahead, but it almost doesn't matter because he's, he's getting such significant volume that he can overcome a, a, a tricky matchup. Um, Samuel is is just obviously somebody who needs to be rostered at this point. Um, I think he's out there in, in three quarters of Yahoo leagues, which is just which is just way too much. And I understand thinking that a couple of weeks ago, you know, OK, we're not going to have any more two touchdown games out of this guy. But but man, I mean, they're giving him they're giving him three carries a game. And they just targeted him nine times and he caught them all. One of them was one of the best catches of the week too. Uh had to had to work back toward the middle of the field. Not not where you would have expected the, the ball to be any any laid out for a ball that uh, that became a long gain. So anyway, very impressive performances from Samuel. I also want to cite the, the the JJ tweet on Rager like I get it. I get enthusiasm for him. Pretty interesting rookie drafted into a great spot, but. To, uh, to your point about Philadelphia's receiving core, Fulgham is clearly the number one, right? Great rapport there with Wentz. Plus they're getting, like, they're getting the tight ends back. You know, Goddard and Ertz are going to be in the mix. They're going to get Miles Sanders back. Uh, you know, this almost seems like a like a pretty good offense prime for a prime for a division run if Wentz can can sort of get his stuff together. I don't know exactly where Rager's going to fit into that, but I can't imagine it's going to be 8, 10, 12 targets a game.
0: The, the wide receivers you should be bidding on you should see a plausible case for starting them probably right away. These these are these are not growth stocks. You know these are guys that you're <laughs> right. going to add because you want to get them into your lineup right away. And I, I feel like I'd need a show of good faith from Rager before I could start him in, in, with any confidence. Yeah, I I agree with that. So we mentioned
1: we mentioned both David Moore and Alan Lazard as. Uh, Ways to get like a really cheap share of an exciting offense. Uh, they're they're obviously they're both tied to one's tied to Russell Wilson, the other to Aaron Rodgers. Handicap the handicap the MVP race for me. Who do you got? Do you got? You still got Wilson after the disappointing game? Um, I feel like if we just go purely by the numbers, it's Mahomes, it's Rodgers, and it's Wilson. But I also feel like there's a narrative that's kind of forcing Josh Allen in there.
0: Yeah, you know, I felt like I'm a huge Russell Wilson guy. But I felt he he was actually a minus favorite, meaning you'd have to put up more money for what you would win on Wilson for the MVP prior to this week. And I think what was really helping Wilson's chances was the whole idea, oh, this guy, not only has he never won an MVP, he's never gotten an MVP vote, which is kind of a misleading thing. You only get to cast one MVP vote. For example, in baseball, you you list your 10 MVP guys, one through 10. And when you see the MVP voting in baseball, I I love that it's a snapshot of, you know, who had a great season and you have like 30 guys to consider football doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You know, one guy wins it and two or other three people get a couple of votes. Coming in second isn't necessarily descriptive, even. You know, it may mean, just be one rogue voter wanted to, to put somebody kind of crazy on the yeah, ballot. Yeah, Wilson so. would
1: have a string of top five finishes since he entered the league. Basically, yeah,
0: right. If if yeah, if you voted your top three guys, Wilson would be well represented. And I wish they would go to that because I think it would just be fun to have that snapshot at the end of the year. The, the thing is with Mahomes, he's already won. You know, when did we get over When did we get so over Patrick Mahomes? Right, <laughs> he was the MVP in two thousand eighteen. Lamar Jackson justly won it last year, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, Mahomes is still here. 25 touchdowns, one interception. You hear hardly a peep about the guy now. Yeah. I mean, of course, Kyler Murray is basically doing what Lamar did last year, where he's really good as a passer. He's really good as a rusher. It's kind of frustrating to see Lamar struggling, by the way, as he is. The Baltimore offense, I do not enjoy – For If you take out injuries from the equation, there's a lot of offenses that have let us down because of injuries. Baltimore's just let us down because they just really have struggled. I know they won against Indianapolis. They're still a good team. They're still dangerous. I still like Lamar as a player, but um, a lot has gone wrong with that offense, and I really don't enjoy watching it. I think right now I still think Wilson – can win it. He, he just has to, they, they play a lot of Island games. You know, he just, just needs to get one. They'll probably get flexed into a game at some point when, when a dog of a Sunday night game comes up. Cause Seattle's so pliable. They play so many high scoring games. As Kevin Clark likes to say, they've never played a normal game. That Arizona game was crazy. The Buffalo game was crazy. The the New England game back when Cam Newton was somebody we, we actually wanted to play. That game was kind of crazy. So I think Wilson's still the favorite here in part. Because I think it works against Mahomes that he's already won it. If Mahomes didn't have an MVP in his in his knapsack right now, I think Mahomes would be the favorite because Wilson doesn't have the MVP. I think all ties are going to go to Wilson right now.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with that. If they, if we reach the end of the season, first of all, when, when it's time for people to actually vote on this, no, nobody's going to be talking about the Buffalo game. Like however it feels to people right now, nobody's going to be talking about week nine against Buffalo when it's time to actually cast votes. Um, And if if things stay roughly the way they are, where, you know, in terms of all the stats that people probably should care about among quarterbacks— it's it's Rogers, Mahomes and uh, and Wilson, usually in some order at the at the very top of the league. Uh, I, I would agree that the that the tie is going to go to Russell Wilson. And I also feel like because Seattle's defense hasn't done anything well and they have defended the past spectacularly poorly, like we're just going to see situations all year in which R- Russell has to play a little bit of hero ball and there will be no option but to let Russ cook right and and he's just going to have some signature second half performances that are probably going to be pretty great so I would still bet on him as well.
0: What what hurts Josh Allen? Two things one this glorious win he had over Seattle was a one o'clock you lumped <laughs> yeah, it, lumped right. it with, the, with the other one o'clock games you, it wasn't a game on a stage it wasn't a, a yeah. late game where you only have two or three games going on it wasn't a Sunday night or a Monday night or a Thursday night standalone game where we're all watching it in real time and tweeting about it and and all that, you know, giffing it and all that stuff, memeing it. So, you know, you know kind of those Matt Harmon games. So it was a game lumped in with seven other football games. It was wildly entertaining, but there were other things that were entertaining. I, I also want to mention, somebody's probably screaming right now, what about Dalvin Cook? What about Dalvin Cook? They have an award for what Dalvin Cook is doing. It's called the uh, Offensive Player of the Year Award, and he could win that. I'm not saying he yeah. should win it, but he could win it. Minnesota's got a losing record, probably not headed to uh, a playoffs. The quarterback, just the way the league is, I mean, the quarterback's the most important position. So Cook's amazing. And right now, if you're redrafted, with McCaffrey having an injury concern, Cook would be the number one pick, I think, in any league that was starting fresh right now unbelievable season. He scored a touchdown every game. I mean, what's, what's better than that? We know Mike Zimmer is allergic to any pass play. Uh, Gary Kubiak is, seems to share that idea. So I'm, I'm all for Dalvin Cook winning Offensive Player of the Year, winning All-Pro, whatever you want to do. He's the most important player in fantasy right now. But he's you can't win MVP the way Minnesota is currently constituted. Yeah, well, you almost can't win it at the running back position,
1: and you probably can't win it as a six or seven win team or wherever Minnesota is going to come in. Okay, let's help the people at tight end because – Tight end is a flaming, just smoldering minefield of a position. I've I've been wrecked by it because no surprise, uh, Iowa grad. I had a few, I had a few George Kittle shares out there. Those are useless to me now. Made made perhaps some bad calls in week nine. Right, I was I had a couple leagues where I was looking at starting either Irv Smith or Logan Thomas, and uh, I chose poorly. I did not start Irv Smith, who walked away with two touchdowns. I actually, only saw four targets in that game. Only finished with 10 yards. But again, two touchdowns for Irv Smith. Um, other names that are out there, I, we, I should probably have started with Austin Hooper, who you highlighted last week. Available now in about 60% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, the last time we saw him on the field, he had five receptions. Uh, plenty of targets there. Obviously we get those vacated, uh, Odell Beckham targets as well. He should be fully healthy now coming off the appendectomy, coming off a buy pr- some pretty friendly spots ahead for him. Jimmy Graham is still out there in about 50% of Yahoo leagues and he scored a touchdown again. And uh, the bear's going to, uh, going to be in a bunch of situations where they seem to be desperately trying to, uh, catch up in fourth quarters. And that's where he, he seems to do a lot of work. Gerald Everett, nine targets last time out. He's coming off a buy and they get Seattle next. So that, that could be a really nice spot and I'll throw Logan Thomas out there who at least saw six targets uh, for Washington, which was a little bit better than he'd done in the prior weeks. Although he'd scored touchdowns there Um, only caught three of them, 28 yards, really quiet week.
0: Yeah. You know, given how ugly tight end has been, this isn't the worst list in the world. You know, Irv Smith, the key to remember with him is that he actually ran a high percentage of routes two weeks ago when he did nothing, but he was getting downfield. And then, you might say, "Oh, he caught two cheap touchdowns." You yeah, know, yeah. can I bank on that? Well, when you're picking up a tight end, you're you're not looking for nine catches for 120 yards. That's not going to happen. Your touchdown equity is what you should be looking for. Smith offers it. I think Graham. You know, it, Graham would be a guy I'd jump on if I could because they they don't have a great play at the goal line. It's certainly not David Montgomery, and he's dinged up anyway. So they want Graham to score touchdowns. Hooper was getting into that Austin Hooper. You know, uh, five catches a week. He was basically doing that before the appendectomy. He's got a chance to sit since then. They had a bye week. The, the loss of Beckham, as you mentioned, I think Hooper's going to go back to being. You hit five for 52 his last game. That, that's kind of an Austin Hooper game, right? The four or five catches, somewhere around 60 yards. Maybe you get like a 20, 25% chance at a touchdown. And that, when you're looking for a tight end, those are all things that play. So I'll prioritize this list. I would go Hooper first. I would go Graham for the touchdown, equity second. And then everybody else on this list is, is more of kind of a Hail Mary. Irv Smith, two touchdowns against Detroit. He also recently caught a two-point conversion, which I think speaks to what his touchdown equity might be. You're at the goal line. Everybody's lined up to stop Cook. You do the play action, and, and then Irv Smith is standing alone. You flip it to him. You spike. You celebrate as a team. I think that's the we'll see that, that a that's few more That's the time.
1: Preston the Preston Williams thing, right? He had uh, he had all those two point conversions early in the season,
0: but it t- but you're right, it does tell you, hey, this this guy's a big part of the goal line package. That that pointed to Hooper a couple of years ago having a breakout where they kept throwing two point conversions to him, but he never had a lot of touchdowns. It's like, well, well, wait a minute, they're running a touchdown play to Hooper. It's just counting for two points instead of six, but that speaks to maybe him having some latent touchdown upside. You, you, Gerald Everett is interesting to me because he's outplayed Tyler Higby. I, I want to burn everything I said about Tyler Higby before the season because I thought. He was so good in December. I thought that would mean he at least would be reasonable in 2020. He hasn't played out that way. Everett has basically beaten him out. They're both going to play. But I think Everett is the guy they feel more, I don't know, invested in right now. So I think he is a guy. And remember, H- Higby is just one minor injury or one drop pass from, I think, just going to like being a backup, being an understudy to Everett. So Everett is probably the low roster guy here you can get in on i still think logan thomas is what he is you know three to four catches a week maybe like a 20 percent chance at a touchdown i don't think he's a bad player but i'd put him at the bottom of this list anyway hooper and graham i think are too too good for the rest of this list and then smith and everett interest me i think thomas has a low upside but it's tight end tight end stinks you know (laughs) if you if you played Logan Thomas and you got four for 41, you'd probably be like, hey, that kind of worked out.
1: Yeah, um, I will say that Everett, as it got like if you're the Kelsey, uh, if you're the manager who's got Kelsey on the roster and you're going into a buy, Everett Lidenhurst. might actually be my play. Yeah, Everett might be my play for for a single week just because they've got the Seahawks. Um, they've got the, the lone defense that's giving up. 360 plus passing yards per week, right? Like there, I mean, Everett doesn't even need to see nine targets in this one to, to perhaps go off. I will. If you also- are super desperate,
0: if you are super, super, super desperate, and I know this never works out long-term, mm-hmm. but let's mention with the new quarterback in Jacksonville, Tyler Eifert did have four catches for yeah, 48 right. yards. So again, right. you're the Hearst owner, the Kelsey owner. This is your one-week rental. You do not need to get married to Tyler Eifert. You don't need to, to propose to Tyler Eifert. You don't need to give him your phone number. <laughs> Just for one week, in a deeper league, maybe you have to dance the Eifert dance. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good call. I,
1: sh- I should also say that I think Jimmy Graham, like as, as boring as that may seem, he's probably going to finish as like a, I don't know, top six tight end this year. Like given the, the damage that the position itself has sustained, he's already got five touchdowns. They look to him in the end zone. All the time, like he's going to finish this year with eight touchdowns, and it is very, very difficult to not finish among the top tight ends with with that sort of TD total
0: mind the gap. He's a much better fantasy player than a real life player. And what's wrong with that? We're just trying to chase some numbers here. So I'm I'm perfectly on board with that. He should be he's in my top 10 every week. I don't even think that's a controversial take.
1: All right, let's uh, well, let's chase some numbers at quarterback for a week because uh, there's people out there. I don't even feel bad for Patrick Mahomes, uh, the fantasy managers, but uh, you know, there's people looking to replace Matt Ryan this week, Pat Mahomes this week, and we have some options that. Uh, wow, you're really going to have to go to the the junk pile a bit. Um, but here's what I've got for you. I've got Drew Lock coming off three quarters that were pretty regrettable and then one quarter that was absolutely sensational. Like Drew Locke apparently needs to fall behind by 20 points before he does a single thing ever. But it was a great fourth quarter. A couple of passing touchdowns uh, found Tim Patrick. Again, I'll just throw his name out there. Had a rushing score finished with over 300 yards against Atlanta. And again, he's got a couple of friendly matchups coming up ahead. Uh, He's got he's got, I believe, the Raiders on deck. Teddy Bridgewater not my favorite matchup upcoming. I believe it's Tampa Bay, but he goes off for 300 yards and two touchdowns against Kansas city, a really good pass defense. Um, And that's just been a creative fun offense. So having shares of the Carolina Panthers um, has actually been rather pleasant uh, in a, a desperate play, deep league, we can maybe talk about Jake Luton, goes over 300 yards, connects with DJ Chark. That was good to see. But I want to have, just as we did last week, I want to have another check-in on Tua Tagovailoa, who had a really fun game. Efficient, uh, he was accurate, had just maybe one head, head-scratching head throw that didn't really burn him, but a, a really productive game and looked great on the ground too, right? Like the designed runs were were really good. Uh, the, the scrambles were, were sensational. We, we saw pretty much every throw from him deep outside the hash throws, uh, that he, that he connected with perfectly some arm strength there. It wasn't, it wasn't just like last week where everything was like four or five yards down the field. Like it was all areas of the field. I thought, I thought he just looked terrific against
0: Arizona. It's funny. Uh, Mr. Iowa t-shirt where I, I don't see Nick Foles in this list anywhere. Um, <laughs> 10, 10% rostered in Yahoo, you know, Let's not let's well, not taint um, the Iowa
1: brand with Nick Falls. That's that's not that's not on Iowa.
0: You know, eleven different quarterbacks threw for three hundred yards in in Week Nine, and five of these guys are under the roster threshold that would make them playable, including Alex Smith. I know you're not talking about Smith either, although they do they do they play in Week Ten. They have yeah, they get the uh, the Lions so. I guess you could, you could maybe even think of Smith in a deeper league, a superflex, hoping he can you can hook up with a McLaurin play, or you know, Gibson can can do a catch and run. As far as the guys on this list, look, Locke's got so many talented players around him. I, I just feel he is a very high floor. He stands out to me. I was encouraged to see Bridgewater get his mojo back because he played so poorly in that Falcons game, and I don't know if it was the weather. He, he got hit in that game. Maybe he shouldn't have come in for the final possession or two but if we if we like Anderson and if we like DJ Moore and we, we talked a whole lot about Curtis Samuel what do they all have in common Teddy Bridgewater throws the ball to those guys so Locke and Bridgewater kind of stand out to me what was most exciting to me about Jake Luton is that he revived DJ Chark he kept James Robinson relevant he basically was kind of the you know, maybe he's like this year's Minshew right a, a low pedigree quarterback who was still drafted played at a major college you know it's not like he played at you know, Springfield A&M or something. I mean, he played for Oregon State. You know, they, they play a legitimate schedule. So um, I, I'm just happy that he can get my chart shares going and he keeps Robinson in my good graces. And, you know, he was also handy enough to run in a touchdown late in that game, which which is, you know, mana of the gods for fantasy. So I, I like that he, what he does for the Jacksonville guys. I'm not eager to play him. I, I think Locke is the class of this field. I still get the sense... I was impressed with what Tua did against Arizona, but I don't think they want him... Being a, a 40 pass a week guy, I think they want to have a balanced offense. They like their defense. I think Miami's got one of the best. Not, look, nobody plays defense anymore in the league. There's like three good defenses. And then, like, you see teams in the top 10 or 12 in defensive stats. And you're like, well, wait a minute, Arizona? Are they really good on defense? But that's just the NFL we have now. It's a pinball league, it's the Big 12. Um, to a I'd be more interested in him if he was more proactive a runner or if I saw paths to Miami having 40 pass attempt games. I just don't think they want to play that way. So he may be a guy where he had an efficient game on Sunday. 248, though, and two touchdowns. That doesn't really get you started in 2020. I think you need a little bit of a higher upside. So uh lock and Bridgewater would be my primary guys here. No. Yeah, it's, it's true.
1: And Tua it doesn't, you know, with all due respect to Devontae Parker, doesn't really have like elite weapons, uh, especially after the, the injury to, uh, to Williams. That's, that's pretty rough to see. So that receiving core got really thin in a hurry, obviously Gaskin out, Frida out like they're short on playmakers, but still a a sort of real life impressive game. Nonetheless, I, I agree with you fundamentally on on Drew Locke. I think he's I think he's the guy here. And again, the matchups coming up, the Raiders the Dolphins, the Saints, who uh, prior to uh, destroying Tom Brady and the Bucs um, were, were looking like a pretty friendly matchup. So the the matchups ahead for Locke are great. Again, he's the guy throwing a Judy and, and Hamler and, and Patrick and Noah Fant. And like the weapons are fine. Even without Cortland Sutton, the weapons are just fine. So I think he's fun. And you can forgive, you know, there's like two throws a game where Drew Locke must think he's back in high school or something like balls that you just You just can't throw in the NFL. Right. Like he he had the backpedaling back foot, you know, just lob over the middle of the field that got picked off easily like those have to disappear from his game. And maybe they maybe they will long term. They're kind of they're kind of fun to watch when you don't have a rooting interest. But when he's your fantasy quarterback, it's uh, it's a little bit different. And then and then I agree with you also that uh, all we really needed to see from Luton was an ability to keep all of those. Jacksonville, you know, uh, fantasy piece is viable, um, which they clearly will be now. Right. Like that was the that was the major concern there. Uh, I'll also say that when I started, Liz and I talked about this uh, a little bit on on the, the podcast last week, the preview podcast last week. When you go, when you go into Luton's like college numbers, especially from his from his final season, I, they were good. I mean, they were, they're were. Pac-12 numbers, so you, you can probably toss them out, but 28 touchdown passes and three interceptions is a hell of a year, right? At, at any level um, for any quarterback. When you compared his numbers to the numbers that were produced by the contenders for the Dallas quarterbacking job who were so sloppy in college, like they were both, you know, um, it, w- one of them threw 45 interceptions in college, the other threw 55 interceptions in college, like just train wreck. Like you can't believe they're actually in the NFL based on this collegiate production. Luton looked pretty good so so i i hear you as somebody who has plenty of shares of dj chark i hear you on a, a deep sigh of relief uh from from what we saw from jake luton let's uh let's dive into players that we are willing to cut for a few of these ads let's talk about some droppable guys right now heading into waiver deadlines um who are you finally
0: launching from rosters this week scott LaVian bell is rostered in 80 88 percent of yahoo and other than a couple of a springy runs in that Denver game, he did not. I, I under I overestimated the vengeance he would have in that Jets matchup. You know the, the <laughs> Le- Le'Veon Bell revenge game. He threw seven yards of rushing at the Jets. Take that, Adam Gase. It, this is the team that wants to throw the ball, and when they run it, it's primarily going to be Ceh. They, they've lost personnel on their offensive line. I, I, Bell to me is just a not. I mean, he he's not even like a McKissick where you can't play Le'Veon Bell right now. And the only time you could really play him down in the future is if Edwards Alaire get hurt. He, he's just an insurance back right now. And I, I think you can find guys. We, we mentioned a lot of them. I'd rather have Jordan Wilkins because he is standalone value right now. I'd rather have McKissick because he is standalone value right now. And even if Bell were to get pressed into a full-time job, it's not like Allaire has been smashing the league. I mean, he, he's like a, just kind of a boring RB2 right now. He's okay. But we haven't really seen a lot of upside with him, even though it's an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes offense. So I think people were hoping that Andy Reid elixir or getting away from Gates would, <laughs> would be magical for Le'Veon Bell. It's been three weeks. The usage isn't there. The splash plays haven't been there. He's yet to score a touchdown. And they don't play in Week 10, man. So you, you have pressing needs. There's no need to get attached to the, the previous pedigree and, and big name of Bell. He, he should be your first cut when you make your offers this week. This is this is just a perfect call. I,
1: I'm I'm regretting that I that I didn't actually claim Bell here. Like that's a that's a really, really good call, especially since he's coming into his bye week and he's been unplayable. It's a perfect example of a player whose um fantasy value peaked this season the moment that uh Kansas City picked him up, right? Like as it, it turns out, that was that was probably the moment to include him in a trade, use him as a sweetener in a trade. But we all got greedy. Like I don't, I don't actually have any shares of Bell because I didn't want to touch him coming into the year. But everybody who had him got greedy, thought they had a a, a real chip and
0: uh, didn't and, cash. And Here is what will happen too, Andy. If you go to the CEH owner and try to offer him Bell before you cut him yourself, he's just going to laugh at you. He's not. He, <laughs> he might not yeah. even take the yeah. call. He's going to hang up and say, "No, I, I'm all set. I don't want the insurance." Well, my my cut is gonna is gonna
1: disappoint in comparison to Bell. Again, I love that call, but I I try to draw this from my own fantasy portfolio, and I am finally like in the in the final remaining leagues in which I had T Y Hilton rostered. He's uh, he's going to get kicked to the curb this week. I just can't. Um, it's obviously been a disappointing season for him. A little bit of it is that he's been snake bit. He's had uh, uh, a couple of negated touchdowns this year, obviously had some issues with drops early in the season. But, you know, a little bit of snake bittedness. But now it's it's a groin issue. And I like I don't think either one of us would ever bet on T.Y. Hilton on the on the early side of of an injury timeline. Right. So uh, I don't I don't want an injured T.Y. Hilton. I won't start him. He, he has zero trade value right now, so I, I've got to finally cut him loose in, in favor of any of these wide receiver options that we talked about.
0: And you know, we look at the Colts, right? Phillip Rivers playing poorly and tackling poorly, you might say. I knew you had a really <laughs> fun, funny Philip Rivers tweet over the weekend. And it's been a problem of crowding on that team, too. Even a healthy Hilton would be just kind of caught up in the cluster of all the different guys they want to use. I, by the way, I want to throw out one other tight end I didn't, I didn't mention earlier. If Jack Doyle ends up being hurt, I think Mo Ellie Cox has a chance to be a really interesting player. If he can just get a little bit more path to snaps, to touches, to targets, whatever you you know, way you want to look at opportunity. I think he's a really athletic guy in a matchup problem who is caught in the fact that Frank Reich is is the you know, when he orders a dozen donuts, he orders twelve different donuts. You yeah. know, he just wants so many different people to get involved. And we, we saw—I know it didn't work out for Baltimore last week, but remember two weeks ago with Baltimore when Ingram didn't play, all of a sudden we could play Dobbins and we could play Edwards. And look, if you played him last week, at least Edwards got you a touchdown. That's how I feel about the Indianapolis tight ends. So we totally. can get one tight end out of the mix, then we can play the other two guys with some level of confidence. This kind of secondary options. So keep an eye on Cox. I'm totally with you on Hilton everything ends badly or else it wouldn't end. He's on not, not the back nine of his career. He's on the 18th hole right now. He's putting out, give him a watch, uh, put him in the Indianapolis ring of honor, probably a little bit short of a hall of famer. We had a lot of good times with T.Y. Hilton. We also had a lot of good times with Le'Veon Bell, but it's 2020. I don't think those guys can help you the rest of the season. Uh, It's a good call.
1: That's a good way to wrap it, too. Uh, If you are interested in other podcasts, and why wouldn't you be? We've got plenty of them here at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL pod with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. It is absolutely the best. Uh, Check out the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Dammel, and our friend Pat Forty of SI. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Andy Barons. That right there is at Scott underscore Pianowski. Once more. Huge thanks to Planners. Uh, huge thanks to Sully, our producer. Tomorrow, you're going to get some Matt Harmon. You're going to get some Dalton Del Don. They will take over on the pod, but until then, we are out. One,
0: two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on Auto Trader.